I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, you're listening to the Alt and Our Stars, Billboard.com's weekly conversation about alternative music. My name is Chris Payne. I'm your host. So welcome to the second issue of Alton Our Stars for the year 2016. Last week we had Panic at the Disco on as our guest. This week, Downtown Boys. Um, really, really into this band. They're a punk band who I found out about through their album called Full Communism that came out on Don Giovanni Records last year in 2015. Saw them for the first time at CMJ Music Festival in New York City and really, really enjoyed what they were all about. So talk about a lot about that specific concert where I saw them for the first time, and we branch out from there into a lot of interesting things. If, if you've never heard of them before, I definitely encourage you on top of this podcast to check out their music. Um, really interesting stuff, and I don't really think there's too much out there right now that sounds like them. They're a punk band that, to go with all the fast guitars, has a really, really good horn section. They sing in both Spanish and English. They have a lot of really interesting social messages to share. And that comes out in the music and the live show, too. We talked about just what it's like for them to put on the kind of show, the kind of punk show that they want to put on these days to share their messages and make sure everybody has a good time. And I really took away a lot of interesting things from this talk, and it was really fun, too, to talk with the whole band. So here it is, Alton Our Stars, Downtown Boys. Enjoy. So yeah, here with Downtown Boys for the Alton Our Stars podcast. Normally, I have just like one or two people on, but I have the full band today, so I feel like we should just go around, just introduce ourselves and like what we play in the band. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Norlin. I uh, play drums. I'm Mary. I play bass. My name's Joey. I play the guitar. Hi there. I'm Adrian. I play saxophone. Hi, I'm Victoria, and I uh, sing in the band. And you guys are here in New York City for a couple shows. You guys are playing Silent Barn tonight with Speedy Ortiz. So feel like that will be that would be a party. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Just before we started the podcast, we were talking about the first time I saw Downtown Boys, it was at the uh, the car wash show at CMJ. You guys played a few CMJ shows, right? Yes. Bunch. Mm -hmm. I think we played two two mm -hmm. of them, I think, during that 
weekend or whatever was going okay, on. Okay, two is a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> we got to play one with NME. Okay, yeah. That they hosted, and that was really fun. And then, like, a few weeks later, that NME article about them, like, ripping into Bruce Springsteen when they first <laughs> reviewed him came out. Oh, shit. I actually, I missed that. What was that? Basically, they gave him a really bad review the first time that he played in the UK. Like, they were like, Bruce Springsteen sucks. Don't worry, Bob Dylan. <laughs> so. Well, honestly, Bruce's whole live vibe is super American. And it seems like the opposite of, like, guitar music and what they would want, like, British. I don't know. But I feel like we're this this could be the start of a long offside conversation. So I feel like we should maybe bring things back to uh, to CMJ. So, yeah, I was saying you guys played um, this interesting renovated car wash space. And I think, I think it's being turned into a hotel or something fancy. But in the interim, they're having some shows there. And you guys played on a really, really interesting lineup. And I was, we were just talking about how, about dancing in shows and how you guys were like the fourth or fifth band on the bill. First few bands were really good, but, you know, not a ton of people moving around. And then, like, once Downtown Boys set starts, like, people start moving. So, like, maybe this isn't so much of a question <laughs> where I'm headed, but, like, what's it like getting a crowd to move? Like, what do you feel like it takes? I think people should answer more generally for that specific CMJ show. I think props should go out to Tony, mm -hmm. who was one of uh, one of the few people of color in the crowd. I'm sure you noticed the crowd was very, very white at that show. Um, and he came and had come to Downtown Boys shows before at Silent Barn and elsewhere in Brooklyn and was actually really one of the impetus to getting the crowd moving. Oftentimes, it does take someone who has seen us at another show and is, like, prepared and, and goes in with the intention of mm. doing that. Yeah, but I think there's also something to be said about, like, maybe the energy that we perform with on stage. And I think that for a lot of bands, they get on stage and they turn on their little sort of on switch. But it, it mm. sort of isn't much different from who they are when they're just, like, walking around. And I think for us, it's very much like a performance and it's very much like a, a very different spiritual thing that happens when we get on stage and I know that I I feel like I feel like crazy when I get on stage because I'm just like <laughs> like you know like I'm gonna have a heart attack but I think that part of that is like connecting with the energy and so when or the, connecting with the crowd and their energy and so when they feel like we're going crazy you can't like help but like go yeah. crazy yourself almost in a way yeah and we're from Providence and I think especially when we first started playing there's just an expectation that, like, that's what goes on at shows. You know, like, people want to be dancing and having a good time. Uh, and so it's not always, you know, a lot of people dancing. Like, in fact, the, the last couple nights we've been playing, the crowd's been more stoic than usual. But we definitely go out there and freak out in the same way regardless of what's going on in the audience because there's just, I don't know. I wouldn't really know how to play and just stand there and not do that. Like, for me, I'm like, what is, what is the, I don't know. I don't know what I'd be trying to convey if I wasn't moved to be, to be moving around. Yeah, and it's just um, something really therapeutic about, like, channeling your anger and frustrations through dancing. And especially we're in a band that talks about a lot of heavy stuff. Yeah. It's, like, a pivotal part of, like, our performance mm -hmm. and our shows. I think two people really enjoy uh, watching us interact with each other and play with each other and move with each other. And I think even when people aren't dancing, uh, 
you can just see that people are like really into it and like kind of like in awe of what's happening and I think uh we definitely see like a lot of people coming up afterwards and just like kind of flabbergasted talking about their experience and just like trying to put words to how they were feeling and how it's so very different than uh, a lot of other shows they've been to and other bands that they've seen yeah which is basically what I just said was like like thank you thank you for like putting on a show where people are moving like it felt so good to be at that car wash show and also I like I felt like like a lot of times if there's a mosh pit it's just kind of like an angry dude vibe but with the downtown boys show it's a lot more diverse and not only that it seems just like more positive like positive instead of like aggression it's you are so right it's definitely Thank more you. diverse yeah. and i think you know the energy is coming from a good place i think also we as artists have to figure out where to um make sure we're keeping the safe space and mm. then like we don't want to censor people or like censor their bodies so sometimes you do get a mosh pit that's like super intense i would never want to be in it i'll go in it to like basically as a temperature check okay and if people aren't like absolutely killing themselves like if if blood isn't out there i'm like well <laughs> up to them <laughs> like you know and so i think we're trying that's also an interesting balance too because we don't want to censor anyone and thank you for being positive about it but there are a lot of dudes out there who are pissed that they can't go into the pit and like uh like you know hurt people um and think that we're like soft and stuff like that so uh, thanks for taking the positive angle. There are also people on the other side. I think, too, it's really awesome that uh, we keep an eye on the crowd and uh, try to make, like, Victoria sometimes will literally say, like, you know, like, you, like, this person, uh, this, like, woman in the back, this this person that isn't necessarily, like, in the pit usually, like, come forward, come up here, come on stage, like, have a spot, like, have a prime spot, like, we're thinking about you. We want you to be part of this, like in a way that maybe usually, well, usually you're just like not able to because of your size or a, because of how other people are like using their bodies. So it's really cool. Like a lot of people that wouldn't usually be able to like have a front spot at a punk show are able to have like create a new environment up there. Yeah, and I think that that's important. It's like to keep keeping the sort of punk aesthetic and the punk music going but sort of having a different conversation a different attitude in regards mm -hmm. to like what it means to be at a punk show and what it means to sort of be a punk or something so i think that we, we do play it's, it's like difficult because we play this style of music that is traditionally one in which people can mosh and go crazy and do whatever they want in the crowd but i think that in a way we would do it in a more i guess like more i guess modern or more progressive way where we're keeping it alive but you know sort of this, creating this middle ground where people can go to a punk show who have never been to a punk show and not get totally like killed or something and beat up. I don't know. Yeah. Do you, do you guys feel like when you go to other shows, do you think the vibe you guys said at Downtown Boys show is kind of becoming more the norm, or do you see still like a lot of shows where you're at where it is kind of too violent and just not safe? I. I, I personally, I don't know. I, I think we, we haven't played, we definitely haven't played with bands in a long time where it's like totally just like like that style of people yeah. watching really hard. We have to hard. do deal with like the genre too. Just yeah. Just like more right. towards like whatever. Right. Yeah. I'm sure that at a hardcore show that's still probably what goes on yeah. and that's like totally fine or whatever, but I don't know. Victoria. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, like I just moved from D.C. to Providence and I would go to a lot of hardcore shows and um, in D.C. and I just like really felt unsafe and it'd be like I'd be one of like five women there still. Um, but the bands are still amazing, but it wasn't like necessarily where I felt comfortable being up front. I was like, I'm going to like back off because I don't want to get hurt. Yeah, and Victoria, you were saying that there were times in Down Some Boy shows where you did kind of have to like maybe tell people to like have a sit down, take a step out. That's happened. Yeah, I think that 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 has happened. I think that especially when we first started, it would happen more often. Um, now I feel like when we play shows, they're curated really, uh, really well. And that can be a hit or a miss because you always want to be talking to people and playing for people who you don't necessarily come into the room agreeing with. And, you know, we we do value confrontation and we do value um, bringing something into a space that, you know, people aren't thinking about before. So I don't think we're asking for overly curated spaces, but... um, um, but you know, the longer we've been a band, like Norlin was saying, we're seeing, we're seeing safer and safer spaces. And we'd like to think that, that we're having a role in helping make those spaces safer. A lot of our friends do other types of art. And I will say like, as an artist, who's a person of color, I often feel like my friends who do like poetry or who do other visual art or who do more like post-punk type stuff, somehow like... I don't want to use the word respect, but because those spaces aren't as confrontational as traditional punk band spaces, it seems like what they are doing could have the projection of being more radical than what we do. And that kind of like, I'm always like kind of thinking about that because I'm like, I wouldn't want that. Like, I wouldn't want to go and perform where everyone's sitting sitting down. Like, I just love the confrontation and the tension because that's the real world. Yeah. So you're saying like if someone is like maybe having like a showing at a gallery or something or reading poetry because people don't go to those things expecting to be like moshing or dancing, obviously, like or maybe they do. That'd be cool. But they're probably not just saying like it can be hard to set that vibe there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So I'm curious, the song Tall Boys, is that about like big dudes getting in the way? Yeah, I think it's it's more of just a metaphorical uh, song specifically about 
cis white guys projecting a very particular kind of whiteness and masculinity taking up space at concerts um, specifically, but also in the rest of the world. Yeah, because, I mean, they're being shitty in a lot of places, but just being, like, big and in front of someone small at a concert is just, like, a very, like, literal interpretation of that song that happens a lot. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, like, a fitting metaphor for uh, a lot of a lot of spaces, yeah. Cool, yeah. Let's, let's drop in some, some music. This is a little bit of Tall Boys right here. Victoria, I wanted to talk to you about your... You actually, you might be reading my notes here of what I want to talk about. Or maybe you're reading about Nikki. <laughs> I get nervous. Like, I, yeah, anyways, what? <laughs> for, those, for those listening, Victoria, Victoria grabs one of our Nikki Minaj issues and has had that open during the interview, but I got the questions right next to us. So I'm like... <laughs> this is an amazing interview with Nikki Minaj by Billboard. It's so good. It talks about the police, love. So good. Most recent, or actually, well, when this runs, will not be the most recent issue. It'll be a back issue, but nevertheless, people should check out Nikki, but Nikki cover story. But anyway, I was about to ask about your spoken word parts in between songs. So yeah, take me through those. Like, is that something that you rehearse? Is it more like off the cuff during the show? It definitely is rehearsed. It's not, there have been a few shows where I've had to do it off the cuff and they're not my strongest shows by any means um so it's it's not like i look in front of a mirror and say the exact words but i definitely think about the things that i want to say and will write them down and um like when we're on a long tour and i you know it's been van and venue uh and there i haven't been able to like be out like learning things, talking to people in the community, like, I do feel this, like, oh, man, I need to, like, research and stuff to figure out what I want to say, um, so it's definitely intentional, and, um, it's not, you know, it's not, like, improv, I think it's coming from the vibes of what's going out outside of the show. Yes. Yeah, so my next question was going to be, like, where you got the material, so it sounds like, most of it is firsthand from things that you've sensed, experienced, spoken to. De- yes, or read, you know, like I think um, it's funny, like a lot of the times, like when we play a show, like I'll be saying an intro and it's verbatim from like a conversation that, you know, Joey and I had or Mary and I had, or it's verbatim from a conversation that I had with someone in the crowd and I'll like may- make eye contact and be like, thanks for giving me that Black Panther Party quote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's, yeah, it's definitely coming from, it's lifted from what's going on in the status quo. So for tonight, for example, for this show with Silent Barn, do you already have a, a good idea of what you're going to do? A little bit, yes. Okay. At Silent Barn, I think it's always cool to mention, um, you know, or not cool, it's always important to mention the gentrification of Bushwick and the waves of gentrification that are happening in Bushwick right now. 
Mm-hmm. And like, what do you, what specifically do you think you would speak on with the gentrification? I think the idea that a lot of us in the room are probably contributing to the displacement of a lot of Latino people and people of color out of Bushwick and that there's a lot of anger around that. And it's important, you know, when we to use that space as an opportunity to say something about it and to to call it out, not to use it as an opportunity for guilt or, um, you know, feeling bad about it, but just recognizing the power dynamics that take place and also recognizing that there is a future police to these show spaces, which are big developers that do want a bank and a Whole Foods and condos there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's also super important to keep live show spaces as active as Silent Bond is because there there is someone else who's trying to grab that piece of land. Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like a lot of times that discussion or that train of thought kind of ends with the guilt and it doesn't really go to a productive place. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I think that that guilt, you know, uh, guilt is is going to just like make us empty of a desire to actually change something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that happens with gentrification when talking about whiteness, when talking about, you know, masculinity and, and guilt. Um, guilt is just fear. You know, and I think that we have to dispel that. Yeah, you you were mentioning a little bit of like the strong whiteness of the crowds like you, that you play, like, for instance, at the CMJ show. Do you feel like on the other side with like the bands that you play with, are you seeing that improving or is where where do you think that's at? Oh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> um It's an interesting question and, and other people should speak on this, too, because I think we all actually have different opinions possibly i think that we are definitely um just the other day in providence um this latina woman who works for the harry potter alliance came up to me and she was like you know it means a lot to me to see a latina punk singer because there's not a lot of us doing what you're doing and when i see this it inspires me and i think it is that simple Mm -hmm. i think that there are probably more people of color playing music or thinking about playing music after being a fan of bands like downtown boys and and mia and you know like mary's bands like the fenestrados of you know just seeing that i think there is a direct relationship i think on the structural sense we you know i think that as we do more billboard interviews, as we work really hard and tour all the time, as we, you know, put out records, um, people are kind of like, when they book us a show, they want to make sure to get the bands that have people of color. So it's, and and they want to make sure to, to make those big shows. And so that might be structurally pushing things as we work really hard. But the only way that that happens is by playing dozens of shows with mostly white people, mostly straight people, mostly men, you know, and we had to do that. We're still doing it. So everything has to happen all at once, all the time in order to get to that structural change. We can't, we cannot pick and choose who we play with or, or who we play for. We have to think a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's kind of the attitude that sometimes people bring to our shows, I think. And when they come see, like, a punk band, they think that it's, like, oh, it's still, like, 1984. It's still 1996. And we can just all, like, mosh and push each other. And it's all – it's the same stuff. But I think, Mm -hmm. again, the importance of pushing the conversation forward and then, like, Mm -hmm. trying to, like, say new things about specific genres. And I think we give people an opportunity (laughs) to redefine, like, what the punk experience is. And we do that every night. And we're very conscious of that. And I think people very much appreciate it. 
Yeah, and within punk, it, I feel like it might be hard to do because it makes me think of – I had a conversation with Meredith from Perfect Pussy who was on the podcast last week. It might not sync up as last week when this actually runs, but last week in real time I had Meredith on, and she was talking about how punk bands form and how a lot of times – They'll form online with, or maybe in flyers or whatever, but like a lot of reference points are used. Like, we want to sound like this. We want to have the guitars of this band, the lyrics of this band, you know. Does that make it hard to like move things forward? Do you guys see that? Do, like, does, sorry, does it make it hard to move things forward for us? Yeah, or it's just in general with your experiences within punk. Is it hard to do different things, to innovate? be different sometimes within the confines i think like for us like i mean joey writes like most of the music and he's just a really good musician and then i think we all desire to be in this band not because we're like even though we're really good at the things we do it's not like adrian's trying to shred a sax like she could be in many different bands but she's choosing to be in this band because she like believes in like the vision of mm -hmm. it so i think for us we believe in these like visions and these directions and we could potentially all of us could go do other things you know but we choose for this to be like our platform or our vessel and i think that that's you know important to recognize like our people's agency and choices but like honestly sometimes it's really cool because people will be like oh i'm starting a band like i got this shredder and all this stuff and they're they're just like maybe you can help me out with the show and like they're just psyched for their band and and it's sort of like when you see it's sort of like when you see just like that boy who's super normie and like only wants to date the like tall thin prom queen girl the tall boy the tall yeah or like well <laughs> well yeah and like and he he's like you know he thinks that's the only person he can ever love is this like beautiful white woman and you're like oh think outside the box like who knows you might actually want to date you know different type of, so it's like these like kind of normie romance things can mm -hmm. be applied to punk it's like you may not want to sound like the clash like think outside the box <laughs> like go listen to some mexican music or like go listen go listen to some other kind of music and don't do this like like music is made relevant by who's playing it by what they want it to be about you know so it's like i think it's like normative punk is just kind of like, for me, it doesn't hold me back. I don't think it holds our band back. I just kind of feel like, just kind of feel bad for people that think that normative punk is all punk. Mm. And even so, you were saying like sometimes you'll get people coming to shows who like have this idea in their heads of like what a punk show is going to be, like the punk rock show. I think, I guess maybe when when they don't react the best way it might it might be something like what saxophones i was not expecting saxophones because you guys do break that mold yeah i think there's some expectation for like normative punk world that kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier that you know these like bros are going to be able to show up and their definition of punk is like bros being able to do whatever the fuck they want to do it's this like very nihilistic attitude and like for you know that's like freedom to them is just like bros like flipping out and getting wasted and falling over each other and throwing beer and, and whatever it is and they get mad when you're like you know 
look around you like not you know this is not what freedom means in a broader sense of like everyone being able to participate in the, the way that they want to in this space um and so i think they're definitely challenged by that and like look at our band and think it's being too aggressive it's too pc i think you're right like even seeing a horn I think they're thinking it's just like looks like weird and too gay and that it's just like is not conveying this kind of like nihilistic masculinity that they want to see at the space. And that's definitely a thing in Providence a lot. You know, we're coming out of this kind of like mill space scene where there's a history, some of which is very cool and very inspiring, um, but was very this very kind of like lawless attitude towards show going and putting on shows and trying to kind of create something that's intentionally different than that and is trying to create sort of a truer sense of freedom in these show spaces uh, has been a really kind of grueling thing to try to build that because a lot of the people with power, typically power in this world, don't want to see that happen, you know. Yeah, so we're talking about like the the horns and things in punk and things coming together. Tell me about how the band formed because I don't really know the whole story of that. What what brought all of this together? Um, it first formed, I guess, some of us, me and Norlin and our former bass player, um, who's for most of the the band's history, bass player, uh, played in a, a brass band called What Cheer Brigade. So that was all brass instruments and okay. some drums. Uh, okay. It was just like 18, 19-person band um, conveying some of the same kind of confrontational energy that Downtown Boys has. And I think we just wanted to make a new project that could be sort of more explicitly political and could participate in playing shows in a more manageable way. And it's like a 20-person brass band. Obviously, it's really cool, but there's certain limitations to what that can do. Yeah. So we played, uh, We we the three of us were playing, and we had another. We had a sax player named Emmett, who's also no longer in the band, and another sax player named Mariel. So we had two sax players at that point, and we played a few shows with that lineup. And it was okay, but it wasn't really clicking. And then I knew Victoria because we worked... Um, at a hotel together called the Renaissance Providence Hotel where we were both working these miserable jobs and we were also trying to improve the working conditions and unionize this hotel um, for many years. And uh, Victoria worked at the the like call center part of the front desk and I worked in room service and so we were friends from doing all this stuff. Um, and a lot of our songs, especially in that first record, are about really working in that hotel. And yeah, we were kind of talking about it and like going to shows together a lot and I think... Tori wanted to be in a band, and we were like, you know, I think this would be a, a perfect place to just combine forces and make it make it work. So that was kind of the that first fully formed part of the band. And then I don't know if you want to talk about how you you all joined too. Uh, this is Adrian. I joined a year ago, and um, I'd moved to Providence about a year before that to I don't know see what was out there and try to play music and. Uh, 
go on a great adventure, which it's definitely been that. And one night, uh, I had met a few times this like real, real handsome, sweet guy named Norlin, and uh, <laughs> he came up to me one night and he's like, "Hey, you want to be in my band?" <laughs> so I showed up for I think like two practices, and then we did like a three, four day tour. Um, and I've played when you play horns like. People come up to you often like, hey, do you want to play in my band? Hey, do you want to, you know, step in on this song or whatever? So I've played with like lots of different people and types of music and things like that. And I've never been able to to click um, energetically so well so quickly with people. And just the kind of music we're playing is just very different and like super thoughtful. Um, and I think like the evolution of the band over the last year has been really interesting. Um and finding my my own place, like bringing, you know, a strong like sax, like carrying like strong melodies on the saxophone, but then also like pushing kind of the value of like a, a noisy kind of screaming, uh, like very visceral attitude to the saxophone and what it can do, and very percussive. So um, that's how I came into the band. And Rhode Island's great. And uh, yeah, Mary just joined. She's the newest member. Yeah, this is Mary. I've been friends with the band for a few years. Um, one of my old bands toured with them and we became best friends. And I was living in D.C. and they went through multiple bassists in the last year. Been like three different bassists. And they asked me to tour with them over the summer. And I was like, hell yeah, I love the band. And I did it. And then they asked me to move to Providence. And then I did it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mary. Yeah, Mary is so amazing that she immediately went on a 32-day tour with us. Yeah. Um, and that was, like, her, one of her first shows was, like, on that tour. And then we spent 32 days, 31 shows in 32 days together. I already loved everybody so much. Um, yeah, I was in D.C., and I played a show. And I took an overnight train to Providence. And then we practiced for, like, two hours, played our first show that night, then went on a 30-day tour. Your magic, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, yeah. Was that, like, this summer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, I've never been in a band or a tour, but, God, I can imagine what that must be like, like, between, like, learning parts, I'm guessing, mm -hmm. and just, like, meeting a bunch of, well, you said you were friends with the band, so, but still, like, getting acquainted with, like, the day-to-day -day things of being in a band, just, like, doing interviews like this is just, like, not something you normally do. Right. Did we go through it? <laughs> Did we go through um, the whole... Yeah, yeah. Oh, hi. Uh, I'm Norlin. <laughs> hey, Norlin. Um, how did I join the band? I guess, yeah, I played in the What Shea Brigade, the 1918-19 uh, piece <laughs> brass band with Joey and Dan. And um, I had uh, I had gotten into that band just by, like, knowing Dan and being at a youth program, actually. So I, okay. was, like, I was, like, 18 or whatever. Um, and I don't know. I had never played drums, like a drum set in a punk band before. I hadn't really played drum set at all, so... But I knew how to like keep time and stuff. So Joey and Dan asked me to be in this band, and uh, I don't know. I guess I had a drum kit laying around, and so I just learned sort of how to play punk by like watching YouTube videos and playing Rock Band on expert mode. I don't know. That's Seriously, that's so I, so you never <laughs> drummed before? You said you no, could this keep is my time. First band. Yeah, this is yeah. I don't know. It sort of wow. Sort of clicked like that. It's like that. Uh, I don't know. It's like that Drake lyric. You know, All I mm. gotta do is put my mind to this shit. That's you know. <laughs> that's all you gotta do. Yeah, I feel like it all if, comes back to Drake. Yeah, it's all huh? comes back to Drake at the end of the day. No, but I think that was the, sort of the thing for a lot of us. Dan, the, our old bassist, had never mm -hmm. played. He'd never played 
bass before. That's ever. a lot Bra- easier to pick up though than drums. I don't know. And Victoria had never, Ooh. Victoria had never, Victoria had never like been a singer in a band or played in a punk band. So we, we all sort of the the first sort of forming of the band was like this motley crew. That's of, way easier than playing drums. No, I don't know about that. Anyways, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I it's mean, yeah, easy. I mean, I because like in my period of life when I was like trying to pick up instruments, I was just like bass. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um, (laughs) 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 subtweet towards bass players Uh, right there. What I'm saying is I I speak from experience of like trying to pick up instruments and not doing so well at them. And yeah, yeah. But yeah, like um, picking up drums. Wow. It just seems like picking up a lot of things. And he's like a really good drummer. I don't know about that. Just (laughs) just loud and and fast and sloppy. That's all. (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) Let's drop in some more music. This is, uh, let's do Wave of History. So the album ends with two cover songs. One of which I'm pretty familiar with, one of which I'm really not that familiar with. So I was wondering if you guys could take me through why you chose to cover them and end the album with them. I'm glad you asked this question because we were asked this question a couple of weeks ago on an interview and we did some quick research. And so one of the songs is Dancing in the Dark by Bruce Springsteen. And the other song is Poder Elegir by... Um, Los Prisioneros. They were both written around the same time, actually, in the 80s, when mm. um, you're seeing we're seeing the Cold War and the United States participation in um, tearing apart Central America and concepts of socialism and communism practices of them there, and um, just like a lot like of blooming of capitalism in the United States that would lead to a lot of alienation, breakdown of unions, so on and so forth. And this idea, the lyrics and dancing in the dark, like they're not, it's not just some goofy karaoke song. It's not at all like there. It's a call to this like feeling that you get maybe when you go to a show. I think like when you go to a show or when you hear music and, and just this idea that like you're so hungry for this, for a feeling and like remembering that hunger and and nothing can ever get rid of it things can repress it but never get rid of that hunger and poder um actually you know is this song where all of this a dictatorship is happening uh you know in the country where los prisioneros is playing um and they're talking about it they're singing about it and and using this as like a political vessel and there's a line in that song too it's not about you know ironing your blue jeans it's not about even a decent wage it's about like fighting our ignorance because our ignorance is their power that's what the last line actually translates into so um like both of those songs not only relate to each other but are relevant to right now in 2015 um 2016 depending on when this is being aired um and are going to be relevant for the rest of our lives in this room and so you know that was a huge deal the relevancy of what those songs are saying and who's saying them. You have this, you know, 
this white guy, Bruce Springsteen, singing about being born in the USA and the working class, and then you have a group of Latinos in South America in a dictatorship, you know? And if that's not, if that's not pointing out how we need to stop thinking about race and class as individualist, as individualism and, um, in, in guilt, then what does? Yeah, definitely. Um, like Victoria's saying, there's such an interesting connection, I think, between those songs, both being written in the early 80s, um, in these kind of, I think, it's the beginning throes of modern economic globalization and all the disaster that's come out of that. Um, you know, the U.S. government, the CIA, um, very explicitly now has admitted to, you know, being behind the assassination of Allende in Chile, um, which led to, of course, the rise of the Pinochet dictatorship. Um, and that's sort of the events that shaped those prisioneros. Um, and then at the same time, you have this beginning of the decline of any kind of economic power, any kind of union strength in the American working class, which is very much what Bruce Springsteen's talking about. Uh, and, of course, those trends have just continued till the very present moment, you know, those economic trends, the 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 percentage of power in the American lower classes, you know, quantifying that by any kind of economic power has just continued to decline since Springsteen was writing. So the, those those issues both groups are talking about are as real now as they were back then, if not more so. Mm, it's sort of like... Yeah, it's pretty sad the the relevance that those songs still have. But it's it is sad. Both of them have this call to Both of them have this like call to like find a hunger though, um to like go out and feel something about it or to like or to do something about it, and I think that that's what what can shift um like the sadness into a longing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it takes me back to what we were saying about like the gentrification issues and how like it shouldn't just add with like end with like a guilt or a sadness, just like that knee jerk, like oh this is a bad thing, this is my reaction, like where do you go with it? And it seems like these those vibes that were in those cover songs are something that like you you pick them because those are the vibes on the album. So um yeah I got things right. <laughs> it's like yeah I'm on it's like yeah I'm on to it. <laughs> um excellent work. <laughs> another thing I want to talk about was uh Yasim Bey, the artist formerly known as Most Deaf. Uh interesting that you guys have a quote of his inside the liner notes of Full Communism. And also I noticed you guys thank him in the thank yous of the album. So I was wondering do you like know him in real life? <laughs> so no other people should speak on this too um thank you for bringing this up i feel like people aren't bringing up the yasin bay um but so basically um like the album we knew we wanted to add like some type of speech on it or like some type of other sonic thing and we were putting this all together last uh like winter fall of 2014 and uh what had just happened was the um the non-indictment of darren wilson in ferguson missouri for the murder of michael brown and then um the murder of eric gardner in staten island new york um where he um you know said that 
he couldn't breathe. It was by an officer who had been harassed, who had been harassing him and he was selling a Lucy cigarette. So Yasin Bey actually put that speech out. Um, I forget what website it was on, but it was like on a random website and he is talking about this watershed moment. He's like, you know, I don't know if we've been here before, um, but you know, here we are now. He quotes the Desiderata in it, which I think we actually cut out, but the words that he used were just so important. And this idea of the watershed moment of being in a critical time. And um, he, you know, this is wasn't the first time where he's done something like this, like during uh, one act of protest that he did was um, the video of him being water boarded um, right. to get at like what is going on in Guantanamo and probably a lot of international prisons throughout the world right now um and so it was just like it was really important to have it in the liner notes it's an extra track on the record right on the vinyl and then we thank him like for letting us do it i don't know if he knows that it's on our album or anything like that so we um yeah so that that was where the thank you comes from yeah, you just I, – I forgot all about the video of him actually going through what it's like to be waterboard. But, God, that was – that's something that people should watch just to inform themselves. Because, like, for, for people who don't know what we're talking about, uh, Yassim Bey basically just it – was, it was exactly how waterboarding happens, right? I mean, like, obviously with safety precautions, but he went through all of it, and it's um, it's something worth watching. As the, the year is ending right now. What do you guys want to see more from – with bands in 2016? It's a pretty big question. <laughs> but there's lots of answers for it. And I guess you guys are kind of probably embodying a lot of what you, what you want, but like for everybody else, like what do you want to see more of? I think I personally would like to see more bands developing sounds that... Um, that they they aren't they aren't trying to to be famous. They aren't trying to sound like somebody else. That they are like having a relationship with people around them, with the spaces around them, with the cultures that they take part in or they are witness to and they are working hard and putting, you know, things that I could hear like the heart and the I don't know, and the pain and all those sort of things that are happening every day in our lives, like in their music. I think um, this year we've watched like a, a few bands kind of grow and really like come into their own and people being really um, excited for, for new sounds um, and for things that like shake them viscerally. What are some of those bands you've seen? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I guess like just recently, and this is just my opinion, but uh I was really wowed by Gorillatas from Boston just recently. And I think that um, it might be it, to some people like kind of weird what they're doing, but uh, I feel like they're doing it for them. And I really like that. And I really like, uh, yeah, I like that they're working so hard to make a sound that they're, like, they're really, really deeply into and it. And it just shows. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another I guess there's a sign of qualities. I think a lot of bands are doing like what I would like to see more of, which is I think confronting our current global reality uh, in a more direct and explicit way. And I think a lot of groups are doing that, have been doing that. Um, 
It's not necessarily things I don't think are worse right now than they've always been, but I think we're seeing uh, a really particularly dramatic, I don't know, expression of them um, everywhere at the moment. And, you know, we need to be talking about that and expressing that uh, in our work. And, like, I don't know, just thinking, like, that MAA video um, that came out last week or two weeks ago or whenever that was, um, was a really beautiful and very explicit um, take on the refugee crisis, you know? And I think artists need to be taking on these things in a very direct way. And I think a lot of people are. I think it's wrong to say, I don't know, there's no political music anymore. I just think it's often ignored or not paid attention to. Um, so I would like to see a lot of those artists continue to do those things, and I would like to see people giving them more attention they deserve because I think that's uh, that's an important piece of it. Yeah, that video is so amazing. And especially for someone like MIA, because unlike most artists, she has a massive platform where she can really take something like awareness for the Syrian refugees and make a lot of people hear it. Because like she just puts something that something like that out, and you know, a website like Billboard will pick that up because like, oh, MIA, they're immediately gonna see it. And like having like that power and doing those things is like really big. I agree, and you know we. I mean, obviously, we're not in my... But I think also, like, we've been mentioning uh, what's going on with, like, ISIS not being a representation of Islam and talking about the Syrian refugee crisis, and people cheer for that more than they cheer any other intro right now, like, okay. in the band. And um, what that did for me was, like, broke a lot of fear because I'm like, oh, a lot of people are actually probably on the right side of this, but the media is choosing to highlight one very, like, specific cross-section. And um, and that happens all the time. Like, it happens a lot with abortion is a great example. I think people think that, like, everyone's so anti-abortion. Actually, like, a lot of people are very pro-abortion. It's just, like what gets highlighted and then who ends up killing people because of it and that's anti-abortion people so i think that um yeah i think that like music the more that we lift these things up and like make them really relevant in music it does something where i think we'll break a collective fear because people will see maybe like more people think like us than than we think you know? mm -hmm. so um just about all i have also do you do you guys have any as the tw 2015 is ending this podcast will run 2016. But do you guys have any plans for new music in the new year? Yes, we're writing new music right now. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, it's hard to say. You don't have, like, a recording date or release date or something. But, I mean, of course, we're, like, very active as a band. So, I don't know. We'll be playing tonight at least uh, one new song. Oh, okay. uh, That is not on our last record. and. There's like a couple that are like almost done that will probably have going by the time this podcast runs. Uh, so yeah, we're keep keep pushing it, keep moving, and we're trying to go to Europe. So if anyone in Europe's listening, give us money <laughs> to go to Europe. Uh, that'll be in like spring. So yeah, we're gonna keep keep moving. So is the new music being played live? Has that been throughout this tour, or is it just starting? It's been throughout the tour, and we also have um, a seasonal song. Um, we're covering Bruce Springsteen. Santa Claus is coming to town right now. Oh, seriously? So that's also there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, seasonal treats. <laughs> so you guys like Bruce Springsteen a lot. They do. Not not all of us not actually. Okay. With <laughs> it used to be more 
more consensus, but now I think we're like pretty split as a group. I like live Bruce. Like I like watching oh, yeah. Bruce. It's like <laughs> damn. Like like you. How can you not like live Bruce? But I think the you know the, the music gets a little. He has that CDs. spark. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's great. Live Bruce just like is like yes, I'm alive. Yes. I'm doing it. You like... Exactly. Man. But, yeah. Um, if he's listening, or if anyone with tickets to his concerts coming up is listening, we really want to go to some of those shows in February. We those spring things. Yeah. Yeah, we think maybe he's heard our Dancing in the Dark cover via Tom Morello, but we're not sure. So if anyone can get that to him, that would be cool. I don't know if you guys ever tie. Has Bruce ever been here? Man, I wish. Billboard? Yo, I am like the, <laughs> the Billboard top 500. I'm like the biggest Bruce fanboy around. I'm from I'm from New Jersey. I'm like like Route 9, this road in New Jersey that is like what Thunder Road is written about is like 5 minutes from where I grew up. So it's like you know. Bruce. Growing up almost every day, my mom would talk about how she would see uh Bruce play at the Stone Pony. Oh yeah. Before oh, yeah. he was Bruce and Bruce, <laughs> we really want to let us shake up your crowd for you, Bruce. Bef- let us open for you. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw someone tweet. And I think you guys might have retweeted it was like, "Yo, Bruce, like Stop like playing around with like Gaslight Anthem and like the Dropkick the Dropkick Murphys and like play with Downtown Boys. Yeah. We agree with that. <laughs> so yeah, that concludes this episode of the Alts and Our Stars. I had a really good time chatting with Downtown Boys. I think you could tell from that one. If you want to check out some archived episodes, back issues of the podcast, you can do that by searching for the Alt and Our Stars on iTunes. Had Bully on the show last year, Magical Clouds, Beach Slang. A lot of good stuff back there in the back episodes to dig through. Also, if you want to, while you're there in iTunes, if you can give us a star rating, that helps a lot with the podcast. And also, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do that by heading over to iTunes or by clicking the iTunes link towards the bottom of the story if you're viewing this on billboards.com. Yeah, new episode of the Alt and Our Stars runs every Friday around noon, so keep a lookout for that next weekend. Going to have a little albums, anticipated music preview for what me and some of my friends here at Billboard are really excited for in 2016. So yeah, until then, hope you enjoyed this episode. Downtown Boys Forever, check them out. Have a good weekend, guys. Peace out. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.